Hello, Redwood. It's very nice to see you in person, and welcome to those of you tuning in online. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet in person, my name is Melissa. I'm one of the pastors here, and if you happen to be in person, come and introduce yourself after the service. I'd love to meet you. When I was 11, my dad got a job in a town in northern Alberta called Peace River, which meant that we would be moving from the west coast of BC. Now, my dad had to start before we sold our house and before the end of the school year, so he went on ahead of us and we would come later. But we were very, very sad to see our dad go. We knew that we would be following soon, but I had no mental framework of Peace River. I had never been to Peace River. I had never even been to Alberta. I was a West Coast kid. I knew rain in the winter and gray skies. I knew the mountains and I knew the ocean. I did not know wide, vast, flat farmland, big skies, dry, cold winters. And so I could not picture my dad in what would be our new home. But I do remember that my dad said before he left, don't worry, when it's time for you to come, I will have figured out Peace River. I will have prepared a home for us to move into, and I will come and get you. I will meet you en route in Edmonton and bring you the last leg of the journey. And because I knew my dad, and because I trusted my dad, I took comfort in this. And the day that we met him in Edmonton on our way to Peace River was pretty fantastic. Very exciting. I was still scared. I was still nervous about moving to our new home. But again, because I knew my dad and because I trusted him, I knew it would be okay. We're nearing the end of our sermon series. We're going to wrap up next week. Who does he think he is? Where we're looking at who Jesus thinks he is. And in particular, the I am statements of Jesus throughout the book of John. We've already heard throughout the past month and a half how Jesus says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. And I am the light of the world, and I am the bread of life. And today he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The context of Jesus saying that is this. Jesus is having a dinner party. He's eating his last supper with his friends before he's going to go to the cross. But his friends don't know that. All they know is that Jesus has just told them that he is going away, and they can't follow him yet. And just like I felt sad and anxious and worried when my dad went to Peace River without me, his friends are feeling the same way, but they're feeling even more worried, even more stressed, because they have no mental framework for where Jesus is going, and they don't understand at all why they can't go yet. The other thing to note before we move on is this is no ordinary dinner party. It's a very dramatic dinner party. There's been a lot of drama. Jesus has just told them that one of the 12, one of those 12 people at that party is going to betray him and that it's Judas. And Judas gets up and he flees to go and do the betraying. And then Peter dramatically says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, before the morning, you're going to disown me three times. What he has shown is that the people there can't trust one another as seen with Judas. And they can't trust themselves as they see in Peter. The only one that they can trust in that room is Jesus. And Jesus has just told them that he's going away. So these are Jesus' words of comfort for his friends. We're going to read John chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Jesus' words of comfort for his friends. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you say that you are the way and the truth and the life. The world needs to hear these words now. We need to hear these words now. So by the power of your spirit, would you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what it is you have for us at this moment in history. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Maybe you've been to dramatic family dinners before. It sounds a little bit like that, doesn't it? So just a recap. Jesus, Jesus has just said that Judas is going to betray him and Judas flees. And then he tells Peter that Peter is going to disown him three times. And then when he tries to give words of comfort, Thomas and Philip show by their questions and their comments, they still don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Judas, Peter, Philip, and Thomas have all been with Jesus for about three years at this point. They have seen Jesus in action. They have heard his words, yet they are still having trouble believing Jesus when he tells him who he thinks he is. How much harder for us 2,000 years later to believe it. But belief is necessary if we're going to join Jesus in his father's house where he's prepared a place for all of us. And so let's look at who Jesus thinks he is. Specifically, how is Jesus the way and the truth and the life? And secondly, do I believe it? Do I believe it? This is the question we've been coming to week after week after week, and it comes to a climax here. The word belief shows up in our passage five times. Jesus wants us to believe because he wants to hang out with us in his father's house. And so let's figure this out. How is Jesus the way and the truth and the life? So today's I am statement is hard to believe because it's 2,000 years after Jesus said it, but it's also hard to believe in our particular cultural climate. Now, culture is a hard thing. It's hard for us to define our own culture, isn't it? Culture is the way that we live. It's the things that we just kind of take for granted as common truths or beliefs. It's our music and our lifestyles. It's the water we swim in. 
Asking someone to describe their own culture is like asking a fish to describe what it's like to be wet. It's very, very difficult. But because of one of the primary values in our current cultural context, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, our automatic reaction is probably going to be to reject what Jesus is saying. So we need to take a closer look at our culture first. I'm going to tell a little story that illustrates this, and then I'm going to unpack it a bit. So my daughter's in grade nine. And this past week, I had to help her with her math problem. And I thought that helping her with her math homework would be easy because I used to be a teacher. I have an education degree. I had to take university math classes that were prerequisites for my program. How hard could it be? Well, it turns out it was really hard. Uh, has anybody tried to help their kids or grandkids with math lately? It's much different than the way that we were taught how to do math. When I was taught how to do math, there was one way of doing it. There is one formula, one strategy, you follow the steps, and you get to the answer. I see someone nodding. You've been helping your kids with math. Kids now are taught many, many different strategies, many ways to get to the answer. And the reason for this is because educators recognize that we all have different learning styles. We're wired differently. This is probably a good thing. So many people can be successful at math. But when I sit down to help my daughter, I'm having a hard time because I don't understand the way that she's doing it. Turns out I did help her this week, but not because I taught her my way. It's because she got frustrated and she taught me her way of approaching the problem. Now, I tell this story to illustrate something in our culture that is a radical shift from the way that it used to be. It's probably a good thing to have multiple strategies so many people can figure out how to do math. But this tells us also something about our cultural desire our own desires to have many, many different options and to be able to choose the one that best suits me. So one of the chief values in our culture is my individual right to live out my own life according to my own truth in the way that I think is right. On a positive note, it could look like math strategies or many different options for food if you've got food allergies or whatever, but there is this flip side to it. We don't have to look very hard. In fact, we don't have to look very hard at all in the past couple of weeks to see how, as we become more and more entrenched in our own personal ways of looking out at the world, we're seeing more division and more polarization than ever. Now I'm beginning to tread in some sensitive ground. <laughs> Because we are a product of our culture, we tend to accept these things as just the way to live. I am guessing that you might be starting to feel a little uncomfortable, um, maybe a little tense. You're wondering where I'm going to go with this, and I have to admit that I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable too because I'm also a product of culture. I like my own choice. I value my own way of living. But Jesus is saying here, in the context of our culture where we value lots of different ways and lots of different truths, he's saying, I am the only way and the only truth and the only life And as followers of Jesus, he's calling us to believe him. So we're going to take another step into this uncomfortable territory. Last summer, our kids in junior high, Pastor Caitlin, uh, shared in a message about how a lot of what the world says isn't really the gospel, but it sounds like the gospel. She shared some of the common sayings that we have in our culture that we're tempted to believe but might not align with what Jesus says. I'm going to share one of those right now. You do you. 
you do you. I say this all the time to my kids, especially if they're fighting with one another. I'll say, no, you do you, and you do you, and don't worry about what your sister is doing. Just worry about what you are doing. And then my kids, remembering Caitlin's message from last summer, look at me and say, Mom, that's the false gospel. But anyways, you do you implies that you live out your unique, beautiful, personal truth, and I will live out mine. So long as you do you, and I do me, then we shouldn't have a problem. But what happens when you doing you and me doing me begins to infringe upon one another's beliefs? We're losing the things in our culture that we used to have in common because there are so many different choices. So you doing you and me doing me is getting harder. We're having less and less things in common. Imagine that, or I imagine that you probably have had some tense conversations lately, especially in the last couple weeks, given what's been happening in the world, where things may be breaking down. And I wonder if it's breaking down because of this you-do-you culture. I'm going to bring up one more common saying that we have in our culture. If things aren't uncomfortable enough, let's get even more uncomfortable today. Choose your truth. Choose your truth. I hear people saying, choose your truth all the time, or own your truth is another version of this. This is kind of an oxymoron, because you can't have your truth, and I can't have my truth if they're totally opposite. One is going to be true, and one is going to be false. What is the definition of truth? It's a factual statement. What is the opposite of truth? It's a lie. So how can you have a truth, and I have a truth, if they're radically different from one another? When we say choose your truth or own your truth, we're not actually talking about truth. We're talking about opinion or preference or values. To use the word truth is misleading. This has also filtered into the way that we do church. It's filtered into the way that we share the good news of Jesus in the world. In a recent survey of youth and young adults in the United States, of people who follow Jesus, when asked about sharing their faith, most people said that they felt it was wrong to share their faith in Jesus with their friends. It's not that they don't know how. It's not that it makes them feel uncomfortable, but that they felt that it was wrong. And the reason why they felt it is wrong is because in a world that values individual truth so much, it feels wrong for me to impose my faith on you. I'm breaking the rules. I'm stepping out of line. If my truth is Jesus and your truth is something else, who am I to tell you that your truth is wrong? So imagine having a dinner party. Now, and imagine, too, a polarizing issue of the day. It shouldn't be hard. You just have to open up a news app or your social media feed to find one. So imagine a particular issue and having a dinner party and inviting as guests to your dinner party people who are on opposite ends of the spectrum. People who are very, very polarized on the extreme ends of what they think is right and wrong with regards to this particular issue. So imagine that in your mind. I'm starting to imagine it, and I'm feeling a little bit nervous and anxious. I can imagine exactly who would be sitting around my dinner table. Imagine that the conversation gets around to that polarizing issue, and it starts to get heated. And people start to lean into their own version of the truth and the way that they think it should be done. Now imagine this. Imagine that Jesus shows up. And he sits down at the dinner table. And he offers these words of comfort. He says, friends, don't be troubled. You're looking at the wrong things. 
I am the only way and the only truth and the only life. And my way leads to the only thing that really matters, my father's house where I'm going to prepare a room for you. You're looking at the wrong thing. Jesus is saying, look at me. He's not saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life for just a few people who want to claim it as their personal truth. He's not saying, I am one of the ways and one of the lies, lives, truths, one of the ways, one of the truths, and one of the lives, lies, lives among many different versions. That's a tongue twister. He's not saying there are individual versions of heaven depending on what your way and your truth and your life is. He is saying, no, no, no. I am the only way. I am the only way. The only way. I'm the only truth, the only truth, the only truth. I'm the only life, the only life, the only life. There is no other way or truth or life. And it's the same way and the same truth and the same life for every human being who has ever lived and who will ever live. In a world that values personal truths, my own way of doing things, and individualistic lifestyles, what are we to do with Jesus who shows up on the scene and says, I am the way and the truth and the life? Well, I think we need to hear him out. Because if we're honest, I think we would all agree that the world is not working right now. Things are not looking good on my newsfeed right now. Could it be that Jesus as the way and the truth and the life is exactly what the world needs to hear right now? Exactly what the world needs to see right now? Friends, Jesus is the way in a world without direction. Our world is lacking direction. Everybody is going in their own opposite ways, and as we do, we're all heading in opposite directions from one another. Where do you feel like in your life you're a little adrift? Or maybe though how the world is a little bit adrift, no longer anchored to anything stable or trustworthy or true. Jesus is stable and trustworthy. He is a way that we can trust, and I think this is good news at this moment in history. In the story today, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we even know the way? We know something that Thomas didn't know, because the way actually hadn't been fully opened up yet when he said that. Remember, he doesn't know that Jesus is going to the cross Jesus is going to be arrested very, very soon. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes upon himself all of the divisiveness, all of the polarization, all of the stuff that's going on in the world, all of the ugliness, and he takes it upon himself and he brings it with him down into the grave. And then he rises again three days later and he opens up the way. He opens up the way. And then... He goes to his father's house. Forty days later, after rising from the dead, Jesus goes to heaven. And his friends who were at the dinner party that day, they watch him. They watch him rise up into heaven. And as they watch him rise up into heaven, an angel shows up. And an angel tells them exactly what Jesus has just said. Friends, he's going to come back. He is not abandoning you. He is going to come back. And his friends realize soon, very soon, that Jesus 
is not going to leave them alone. In fact, Jesus is going to be even closer to them than he was before. Very, very soon, Jesus is going to give them the gift of his presence, the Holy Spirit that lives within every single person who believes that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Points us to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Points us to his Father. How do we know the way? We look at Jesus. Every time I choose to believe that Jesus is the way, I step a little, little further down the Jesus way. Every time I encounter something in our world and choose to behave in a way that looks like Jesus, I'm stepping a little further along the Jesus way. And every time I do something like this, I believe and I act like Jesus, something happens as the Holy Spirit transforms me from within and I become a little bit more like him. There's some more good news for the world in what Jesus is saying. Jesus is the truth in a world searching for answers. We live in a world with lots of information, lots of searching, lots of answers. The other day, I wanted to make a vegan chocolate cake. Talk about wanting my own personal preference, but I think this is a good thing. I'm allergic to eggs and dairy, so I'm glad that there are many different versions of chocolate cake, and I can choose the one that suits me best. But anyway, I lost my recipe because my recipe was on a website, and the website was taken down, so I decided to Google it. I typed in vegan chocolate cake into my Google search bar, and I got 255 million hits. Can you believe there are 255 million hits for something like vegan chocolate cake? So how do I know which one to choose? How do I know which is the best one? Well, we live in the most connected time in history. We have more information at our fingertips than all of the information that has ever come before us. We can find answers to almost every single question that we could ever ask going online, but in an unregulated internet, how do I know which one is the truth? And how do I know which one is the truth when I'm asking more important questions than what is the best vegan chocolate cake recipe? Things like, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What happens after I die? I'm not sure if the internet can point us in the right direction, but Jesus can. He says, I am the truth. When Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father, Jesus responded with this, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? How do I know what the best vegan chocolate cake recipe is among the 255 million options? I have to make the cake. I have to make it, I have to bake it, and then I have to taste it. I need to experience it to know if it's the right one. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, his friends have already had an experience of Jesus. They have been with him for three years already. They have seen everything that he has done. They have heard all of his words, and they know that he can be trusted. Jesus is essentially saying, do you want to know the truth about everything? The big questions of life, like who is God and what is he like? Do you want to know God's plans for the world? Do you want to know who you are in light of who God is? Stop looking at the internet. Stop searching within for your own answers based on your own preferences. Jesus is saying, look at me. Look at me. 
Look at Jesus who healed the sick and made the lame walk, who raised Lazarus from the dead, who opened the eyes of the blind, who made the lame walk, who gave value to the most neglected and marginalized in this world, who showed dignity to those who most needed to, to be treated with dignity, who worked at tearing down structures that were no longer working for the world, that were keeping the most vulnerable oppressed, who welcomed children. Jesus is saying, look at me, and you will know who God is. And then in light of that, you will know who you are. And finally, Jesus is a life in a world without hope. This is such good news for the world. Hope is the belief that the future is going to be better than the present. But surveys show that for the first time in human history, the next generation lives in the most hopeless time or has the most, is, has the most hopeless attitude to life than ever. The next generation generally does not believe that the future is going to be better than the present. For those of you who are grandparents in the room, when you came of age, when you stepped out into the workforce, when you got married and when you bought a house, the general prevailing attitude in the society is that the future is going to be bright. The future is going to be better than the present. But for this next generation, the future doesn't look like that. There's estimations that for the next generation, they're going to have up to 11 careers in their life. That many jobs that they're going to have don't exist now, and many jobs that they will have are going to be obsolete or be phased out. Many young people will not be able to afford to buy a house. Many young people are not going to be able to stay in their hometowns because jobs are disappearing. In the bigger picture, young people are looking at the news and they're seeing what is happening all over the world and the insecurity everywhere. This doesn't look like a hopeful future. And with climate change on top of it, young people know that they are the ones who are going to have to deal with the fallouts. The world needs hope. Our next generation needs hope. To believe that the future is going to be better than the present, and Jesus gives us that hope. When he says, I am the life, he is talking about his father's house, where he is preparing rooms for all of us who believe in him. In his, father, in his father's house, in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. We will live the way that everything was supposed to be. It's going to be amazing. But we also have hope that for those of us who put our belief in Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit within us, we can experience a little piece of heaven now that the world could actually be a better place now. When we live as if Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life, the Holy Spirit does something in us. I alluded to it a little while ago. The Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. Jesus is not physically present to show people the way and the truth and the life, but he has given us his spirit so that we can show people the way and the truth and the life as we become more like him. One of the, my favorite passages in the Bible is about the fruit of the Spirit. What happens in people as they are transformed from the inside out, as they commit to following Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. I want to read the fruit of the Spirit now, and I want you to imagine that if every single follower of Jesus in the whole world 
was demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit as they interact with their friends and family, as they go online and social media, as they have dinner parties and as they're in the workplace and as they're at school, if we were all demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in these contexts, the world would see Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. Guys, the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What would it look like if we lived with love, even in our cancel culture world? What if we lived with joy when everything looks dark and scary? What if we had peace in a world that seems very chaotic right now? What would it look like for us to have patience in a very quick fix world that is looking for quick answers? What about kindness? Especially if we showed kindness to others who aren't necessarily being kind to us. What about goodness? If we lived with goodness, but especially if we lived and made decisions for the good of the other person. What if we lived with faithfulness? We remain faithful to Jesus as the way and the truth and the life in a world full of endless options. And these last two, I think might be the most revolutionary things in our world. Gentleness. Gentleness in a world that values aggression and strength and hostility. Man, if we were gentle in the world, people would sit up and take notice. They would want to know what's going on in our lives. And self-control. Now, this isn't a very exciting one, but I think this would have significant impact. To be self-controlled means we're not following every whim and every feeling. We're careful with our words. We're careful with our actions. If we start displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we will become a safe place in the world. We will become stability. We will become the most obvious answer to everything that is wrong in the world. It will be irresistible. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. If the world saw Christians living like Jesus, they will see his way. They will see his truth. They will see his life. And when they ask us about it, then we can use our words and talk about him. So last question, the big question as always, do I believe it? Do I believe it? Like I said, the word belief shows up five times in our passage. It is the crux of this whole section. Do I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? Everything in my life now and everything in eternity hinges on my answer to this question. Do I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? At the very end of our passage today, Jesus says, believe me. And if you're still having trouble with believing, then look at my actions. Look at what I have done in your life. Look at what I have done in illustrated in the scriptures. Look at Jesus and then answer the question. So I want to give us an opportunity now to proclaim our belief. If your answer to do I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life is yes, I invite you to 
Follow along in the quiet of your hearts as I pray out loud. And then we're going to respond as the band leads us in a song that will keep our eyes or point our eyes fixed on Jesus, the way of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And so now let's pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the way in our world without direction. I believe you are the truth in a world searching for answers. And I believe you are the life in our hopeless world. Jesus, fill every single one of us with your spirit that we might believe and live into this reality. Transform us to be more like you. Lord, let the fruit of your spirit spring up in our lives and in our community. Let us be a people marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in this way, let others see your way, your truth, and your life in us so that they would come to believe too. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.